Welcome everybody once again to the Rugby Scoop podcast. It's the Springboks World Champions 2023. They've gone back to back. No other team has beaten the British and Irish Lions and won a World Cup in the same cycle. Same cycle. The box, the only men's team to go four, four times winning the Rugby World Cup. And you know what the word four means for the All Blacks? It means four more years for New Zealand to try and retain or win the Rugby World Cup again. I'm not by myself. I'm joined by Vuyo all the way in Russia. Hugh in England. He's a Welshman, guys. He's not English. And Jade all the way from Bloemfontein. And our guest speaker for today, Smoom Chigeliso, prolific journalist from South Africa. Hey, welcome, gentlemen. Vuyo, how's it going? How's the hangover? There's no hangover, <laughs> right? Uh, when you drink quality. Smoom, welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, brothers. Um, back. Uh, let me address a few things first and most. This is the most hungover I've been since 2019. And the irony is that I stopped drinking in 2020. So I don't know what got me so bad this morning. So either way, it's a good day. And secondly, I think I fall into the category of former journalist. Former. Now that I've changed careers. Former. Yeah, former journalist. Guys, yeah. uh, to our listeners, this is a live recording. I'm actually in an Uber, hey, going back to my hotel in Paris. Guys, we'll watch the game live. Hugh, how's it going? All good, mate. We're into the last 10 minutes of Dragons versus Cardiff. It's been a thriller. It's currently 6 points to 16 in favour of Cardiff. And uh, yeah, life's good, mate. Fantastic, Jade. I hope the network is good. The All Blacks failed. And you must be feeling very, very disappointed. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. No, guys, listen. <laughs> Tough one to swallow. Uh, set on, you know, obviously, like I said, I voiced my opinions earlier in the week regarding the box in the All Blacks and the way my loyalty stand and I said that I don't have a problem with the box winning, you know, I'll be happy for them. Uh, just the man as being an All Black supporter the way they do, they came away last night, yeah, that's a little bit gutted. And obviously, um, being a United supporter as well, you know, with things going on at the moment. So, uh, yeah, so not, not in a good space, guys, not in a good space, but yeah, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> this is a good space on X, I almost said on Twitter, this is a good space. But nonetheless, gentlemen, let's not waste any time. Let's jump straight into it. The final was amazing. One point in it. One point. Vuyo, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I did change my mind in the morning, on Saturday morning. When I woke up, I was like, no ways. There's no ways South Africa's going to lose this one. But uh, just my takes on it. Uh, I mean, kudos to Peter Steph Tutoy. He had a massive one. Uh, pretty unlucky to lose. Uh, pretty unlucky to lose. Obviously, Sam Kane in that first um, few minutes with Frizzell as well. I thought the ref was a bit shaky at times, but uh, we're not going to blame it to him. Um, we it's exactly what we discussed on Friday actually, because the game plan was simple: keep the ball alive, keep the ball in play, let South Africa suffer. And you notice if you notice in that first twenty six minutes. South Africa was blowing because um, New Zealand just kept the ball infield. So even so, I think there's, there was probably one kick where it went um, <clears throat> into touch from New Zealand side, and that was Telea. I mean, throughout the whole game, and South Africa obviously we're trying to 
to to keep the to get through those lineups. And uh, another thing that we also discussed on Friday was uh, South Africa are going to try and and do um, those uh, grabbers at the, on the outside. And we noticed that by going out on the basically playing their moves and late, giving those late grabbers at 13, 15, which put New Zealand under pressure, was not impressed with both lineouts. I mean, uh, there were times where I felt New Zealand were doing too much movement instead of taking their front ball. They were trying to do too much movement and they ended up losing those lineouts. Um, Bongi, we discussed quite a lot uh, and we actually lost him in the first five minutes. So, yeah, so it, it, it was actually one of those games where we all knew um, with the tech, tactically how they're going to go and they actually delivered exactly what we, what we expected. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. We're going to break it down, gentlemen. We're going to really, really break it down, dissect it. Uh, not minute for minute, but obviously set plays, um, All Blacks one man down, how did they cope with it? Springboks also lost two people as well during that game, which means that they played 60 minutes with 14 men. But All Blacks, how did they cope with that? How did the Springboks cope with it? Jade, your breakdown from the, current, from, from the game last night? Yeah, Vuyo was spot on um, in terms of what the All Blacks were trying to do. Basically trying to keep the ball in play. You know, something they were raving about for throughout the World Cup. Um, not taking the box to the line-out. Um, you know, um, trying to keep the not kicking out, kicking so that the box, um, you know, can try and counter, try and get an aerial battle. But when Bongi went off, the box's line-out went. And for me, that is when the adjustments had to come. And they had to actually go to the line-out because um, Brody Retallick was having a field day off Dion for his ball. Um, he was, him and Barrett, uh, Scott Barrett, were winning a lot of ball from the Africa side. Um, Cody Taylor, I don't know why it took so long um, to throw the ball in. There was one line-out where Scott Barrett <laughs> was initially telling the box to open up the space. And when he looked in front of him, his jumper was already in the sky and he had to... You know, to lift the jumper up, and that was actually the big thing. So yeah, that was that was something from yesterday that they got. Um, scrum battle, I don't want to go into guys because um, I feel that the scrums was taken away from the box when Bongi went off, uh, and I also think the All Blacks did well for standing up against him. However, it's not a, it's not a, it wasn't really a true reflection of the box scrum because I think Bongi adds a lot to that scrum. Sorry guys, I just got somebody shouting in the background, but uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> okay, the little kids want daddy's attention as well. Hugh, your thoughts, and then Smoo, you'll jump on after Hugh. Yeah, it was a it was a tense game, wasn't it? And I think it was very close all the way through. You know, you talk about teams who they believe they can win. I think there was almost an edge of it, especially in the first half, where both uh, believed that the other team was was perfectly capable of winning. And I, I thought that. Definitely in the first 20 minutes, it was very nervous from both teams. What I think we saw was the, uh, this, with the 7-1 splits, what we've seen of that or the, the forwards heavy bench so far has been Razzie pulling the trigger on it and it having a huge impact on the set pieces, whereas that didn't really happen in this uh, game. So New Zealand had 22 lineouts in this game, whereas the box had 10. Now, 10 is quite a normal number, but 22 is insane. But in terms of scrums, the All Blacks only had to put into the scrum on two occasions in the whole game, which is crazy. But as Jade said, with Faree in the middle, I think the All Blacks probably had the better of the scrums. But where the 7-1 split on the bench came in is it enabled, as we said in the preview, those forwards who knew they were coming off to just empty the tank in 50 minutes. I think that was a huge difference maker. In, in them being able to defend because this game was won on defence by the box and the way they were just able to just keep coming at the All Blacks and at the All Blacks. Having said that, if you look at the stats, now stats don't tell the whole story. I will always tell everybody, don't just read the stats. But the stats tell you that all the All Blacks played all the rugby in this match and you could say that the All Blacks were the better team on the day. And if they'd have kicked their goals, which maybe a different goal kicker would have on the day, although I'm not going to hammer Geordie too much. They they were good enough to win this game. And it just goes to show that these days, at test level, there is almost nothing between these top teams. And if that game was played again, I wouldn't put it past a different result. So, yeah, um, just 
a, a game that uh, was just decided on the day. It was just a one-off game, really, and I'm not sad to see the box come out on top, even though I predicted the other way around. Um, I'm super glad that they get their moment because I love all the players. Well, Fred Hughes. Boo! Nyana wala seko. Hmm? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I mean, the Springboks have gone back to back. It's a, it's a massive, massive victory. It's massive for Rassi. It's massive for Jacques. It's bigger for Kolisi and what it means to South Africa. Talk to me. Yeah, guys, I think um, finding words to really describe what this is for South Africa is very difficult because I think, unlike the euphoria of Japan, um, it, it, it is it is difficult because Japan, I think, had more emotion. Uh, and this one, as much as it was a lot closer in the quarters, semis and final, um, it, it had a different feeling to it. Uh, we certainly, as a country, needed it uh, more than all the other countries because we rely on the box to, to, to lift the national morale. So without that emotion of, of, of 2019, you kind of, you know, I think it's one of the, it's, it's, it's that one that will age better with time. I think this one will, is the one that will go under the legacy folder where we, when, when we, when all is said and done and we're, and we're, and we're writing and talking and debating about the greatest Springbok captains and the greatest Springbok teams of all time, we'll talk about the France victory as the seal that proved that this team which is my opinion that this team is the the the, the best Springbok team to ever represent us at a at a rugby world cup. And that and that is besides the the two World Cup victories. Um I think as a team, as a spirit in terms of unity, they're far and away um our our greatest representatives. They have been better, I think, or equal uh, individual uh, uh, you know, man-for-man talents. Um, you know, the 07 team that unfortunately didn't de- defend their title in 2011, um, I think, you know, is up there, you know, would probably consider themselves the equal, you know, of this team in terms of raw talent. But Jesus, this this ensemble uh, of talent, the way it's evolved, uh, yes, they went back to the kind of Pollard fast kicking um, by the end, you know, which I don't think is a blight. You know, you stick to what you know. But if you look at the last two years, the way they evolved their rugby to play in different ways, especially at the end of last year, the the inclusion of Damien Willems, uh, Kirtley Aaron, uh, to complement Cheslin Colby, the inclusion of Mani Debok, who's now nominated at World Player of the Year um category the the growth of Eben and and Sia as as just tactical forces not just leaders the oxen chairs you know it's just been a great mix of a team you know how they use their benches you know from six two to seven one people won't 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 you know eulogize about that stuff but that is that is tactical acumen you know, to, to, to know what you're good at and, and to double down on it. It's not pretty. Not a lot of teams like it. Uh, not a lot of people, you know, enjoy it. The, the, the English definitely criticize it. But it is the way South Africans play. And they've stuck to it and they've won two World Cups to it. But it's also different because, you know, there's a Kirtley there. You know, you can't make a mistake because Kirtley's going to punish you. You know, Damien's there. You know, it's just... It's the same, but it, but it's so different um, this time around, you know. And and I think it's a seal on top of what's been a really great era um, in Springbok rugby. Oof. Mouthful, well said. Now the very important stuff. Vuyo, you're a rugby coach. The tactical aspects of rugby. Smoo talks about 7-1. Smoo talks about playing to what you know. All Blacks complain. It's boring. I almost fell asleep. Some of the quotes coming down from New Zealand. Exciting rugby? Yeah, it's all good and well, right? But is it championship rugby? Vuyo, take us through. 7-1 split. I mean, t- 
take us through the tactics that are involved in rugby. Do you want to play winning rugby or do you want to play exciting rugby? Well, it's pretty easy. It's pretty simple. You play winning rugby. That's that's exactly what it is. You don't play you don't play um rugby that will suit the public. So with South Africa, they've accepted that they will be playing boring rugby, which some people will say, but they also accepted that they will be innovative within their rugby. I mean, we look at the tactics with New Zealand. We spoke about kicking off to the left uh, for New Zealand uh, so that Faf could clear over his shoulder. We saw, we saw that tactic um, and we saw that the tactic actually did give New Zealand some lineouts within the South African half. We South Africa, were, uh, in terms of their kickoffs, they went to the original uh, deep, uh, deep right, not deep left. So they, it's one of those things where you have to also realize that this game, as Hugh said, it was won on defense. South Africa are not an attacking team; they are a defensive team. And how many times they uh, they found themselves in in difficult positions, but they scrambled. I I talk about scramble defense. Scramble defense normally wins you tournaments, normally wins you uh, championships because of the fact that that means that the players are actually giving everything 100% within the game itself. I look at, I look at Jean Klein when he came on. He was tired. He was done. But the, the, the fact that he was just fighting. Uh, when, Sia, when Sia came off his yellow card, he knew he needed to make a couple of tackles. One interesting fact for me for South Africa's side uh, was uh, the fact that they started having one uh, shooter. They, I don't know if it was a plan, but one person would shoot up on defense to try and make the, the, the ball carrier make a decision. And that happened quite a lot in the game, and we saw it quite, a, quite often. And that, that actually said something to me that they knew they were in trouble in terms of attack, but they just wanted to, to obviously put, uh, to put New Zealand under pressure. And it worked quite perfectly. So I think tactically, I would have, this, this one, uh, both teams wanted to, to be in that space where um, New Zealand wanted to be in the space where South Africa must, must always be on a position to play. New Zealand, is, uh, New Zealand were in a position where they wanted to keep the ball in field. South Africa used that uh, kicking tactic in the, on the outsides quite well. So, yeah, so for me, it's, 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 it, I'll still say, look, it, best teams, best defensive teams win tournaments. And guys, the, even the ankle tap on, on, uh, on uh, Papai Lee by Faf, that's, that's defense. Because had Papa Lili got and got through that, he would have probably draw a man and passed or draw or get take contact even further down what it was. And so for me, it is, it's one of those things where, look, you, you have to be acknowledged defensively, South Africa, we're up for it. Defense wins you championships. Hugh, you wanted to jump on that one as well? I just wanted to say that uh, the Kiwis played exciting rugby and lost. So, what are they complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shots fired! Shots fired! I hope no one in New Zealand is listening to us currently at this point in time. Jade, JK uh, is a regular, bro. JK is a regular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dylan, sorry, my friend. Uh, Jade, I want to talk about. I mean, Vuyo talks about kicking and keeping the ball in play. I also tweeted something earlier today regarding uh, the tactical aspects. Uh, of what New Zealand were trying to do. But for me, seeing that Bongi was out and Brody Rotelic, you also mentioned this, that Brody Rotelic was winning almost every other lineout. Why would Bo Brody, I mean, Bodie, oh, Bodie, Brody, all the same. Why would Barrett try and keep ball in play knowing fully well that they are winning opposition ball and the Springboks lineout is, is faulty without Bongi, right? And a lot of times New Zealand played off the top at every single lineout. It did not make sense at the particular time or during the game. Every lineout, whether it be halfway line, 10 meters or 22 in the opposition uh, half, they played off the top. And obviously the Springboks have rushed defense. If you play off the top, everyone is coming up fast and furious in that rush defense, right? So you don't have time to play. I mean, even... Uh, Jordy Barrett got smashed in one of those elements as well from, from the top of the lineout. So what are your thoughts with keeping ball in play, knowing that Bongi wasn't playing, uh, was, was not uh, 
was off the field for 74 minutes of that game. Yeah, Scoop. Um, like I mentioned earlier, for me, I honestly, this is my honest opinion and guys can differ. I believe that your coaching structure allows you to implement a specific game plan. Now, Erasmus and Ninaba, they implement their game plan. Every game, everybody believes and buys into this game plan. New Zealand still relies on situations and playing, you know, the game according to your, their feeling. Um, you can typically see this with the difference between Richie Mwanga in a Crusaders jersey where Razor Robinson is somebody that, you know, he implements his game plan and his style compared to Richie Mwanga where he's too minded in an all-black setup where, you know, it's more of a uh, individual brilliance and um, I don't know, maybe he's not calling the shots, but I still think the game plan was not implemented correctly. I, for one, once Bongi went off, the call should have been there. There is guys on that field with over 1,300 caps in that squad. They could have made a decision and said, guys, let's go to the line. Let's take them to the lineup. Because every lineup, every second lineup, the box struggled at lineup time. Um, Dion Fury had a brilliant game, but unfortunately, he's not an out-and-out -out international hooker. He's better off as a loose forward, but he had a brilliant game nonetheless. I would have personally, I would have went and made my tactical kicking. You had Bowden Barrett, you had Jordy Barrett, Richie Mwanga, and Will Jordan, who are very good, you know, kickers of a rugby ball, with Aaron Smith. Easily. Play the territorial game, take them to the lineup. Even the exit play, you know, was, was shocking. Kicking the ball straight into uh, Chisholm Kobe's hands a few times. Um, I still can't believe that, you know, a team with this experience didn't see this and we all saw this on TV. The other thing that I wanted to mention um, regarding Vio, uh, Vio's comment on the box and the defence, it's evident that defence defenses wins uh, World Cup. I mean, the box to scramble defence was brilliant. And I still get nightmares if you think of Rico Ayani yesterday, sprinting for the try line with the ball in the wrong end. <laughs> I mean... Is this, do you blame a coach for that? Or do you, or, or is it something that, you know, is it big match temperament? Or is it a guy's not, I, 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 I still can't get that. Ball in the wrong end, can't get the fend of Kurt Adams are defending. Um, Sam Kane, I, I have to touch on this because it's, 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 it's a topic I want to bring up. In the Super Rugby final, Sam Kane got a yellow card in the last five minutes, cost the Chiefs the game. Yesterday, a red card in the 27th minute. Arguably cost New Zealand the game, cost the final. That experience coming, coming from your captain. I've got a stat earlier today. Sam Kane got five cards this season. That's, that's inexcusable from, from, from a captain, from an opera captain. I mean, I think that's the first time I've seen Sia Kulisi off the field before with a yellow card. I'm not sure I'm mistaken or not. But a simple things like that. The All Blacks discipline and the leadership group with their decision making on the field yesterday. Inability to adjust costing that game yesterday. Oof. Well said. I think Smoo is hot on your heels, Jade. Smoo, you wanted to also jump in on this? Yeah, look, I, I, I think Jade's got a very good point. But before he had he had spoken, I just wanted to, to jump in on the, just the lineup specifically. Um, I think both teams overanalyzed the lineups. And there were two things that happened that kind of threw everyone off. Obviously, the Bongi uh, injury after two minutes uh, and the same came yellow. But um, to Jade's point, there was a huge missed opportunity by the All Blacks to make the game centered around the lineup. What the Bucks do well is once they sniff weakness at any point, they focus on that. They be, that becomes now the central point um, of, of wearing the opposition down. It doesn't yield immediate results, but it creates psychological pressure. Look at France and the scrum, uh, calling calling for a scrum inside your own 22, um, which Damien Willem said it. They knew they had the upper hand in the scrums. So let's take it to the scrums and every opportunity. So the All Blacks missed that opportunity to take it to the lineup. In fact, when 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 they were, just to relate to the same came point, is that I think they would have had a, a, a greater chance to do that if Sam Kane was on the field um, because obviously he can, you know, poach and, and disrupt in the lineup almost like Adi Tavir. 
So there were shorter numbers a bit in the lineup. But when they chose to bring in Dalton Papalee for Brody Retallick uh, in the 70th minute, I thought that was a mistake. I, I would have actually, you know, uh, had Sam uh, Sam Whitelock, um, Scott Barrett, and Brody, uh, one of them playing, you know, uh, as a as a, as as maybe the number six. That wasn't really a number six, maybe in place of Shannon Prozal, um, just to have as many people competing in the lineup as possible, make it a nightmare for the Scrimmels. There was a point where they even stopped competing, where the All Blacks stopped competing against Dion Fury's throw. And I'm like, have they given up? Like, they they were, I think the, the box had lost three lineouts. And then suddenly, they just let the box have their, their own lineouts back. I mean, the, the, the spring box would never, ever allow you to have one scrap, you know. And, and I thought the All Blacks really missed an opportunity there to, to psychologically... Um, defeat the box, and it might not yield, yield an immediate risk. I would have kicked everything out. Um, I would have kicked everything out, make sure there's a line-out. But then the problem was on the New Zealand line-out, the box were also competing. So they were also giving the Oblex something to think about. So they, there was a bit of cancelling out in that over-analysis of the two teams. And that was just my point, was that these guys had focused so much on the line-out that the basic uh, tactics were lost in the over-analysis. Fair, fair. There could be an, an element of over-analyzing the situation. Um, but watching it, guys, from I mean, from a live perspective, uh, I Jade basically going into the All Blacks. We are going to let you jump in just now. Uh, going to the All Blacks' uh, passive approach. And, I mean, Will Jordan didn't even look like he wanted to play rugby on uh, last night, to be honest. The kick chase was pretty average, and Talia. They wanted to kick the ball, but they will really not compete. I don't even remember if they even competed in one of those uh, in one of those kick chase um, elements in what they wanted to employ during the game. Moanga got hit a few times. I think he got hit by Elizabeth. He got hit by Dwayne. And his confidence was completely out of that game. And going into Smoo's uh, uh, point that Springboks basically target the weak the weak areas of your game, and then once they've seen that there's weaknesses, they continue building on those weaknesses, putting pressure on those weaknesses. Like Moanga, pretty much did not exist in that game. Jordy Barrett, pretty much also did not exist in that game. I mean, Rico Yohani, besides that almost try where he holds the ball in the wrong hand, pretty much also pretty quiet to be honest. I mean, the backs were even evenly matched. The forwards were not evenly matched. But obviously, even when Kobe went off, you would think that the All Blacks would have had, they had a, num- a numerical advantage, but they could not execute anything from that numerical advantage. Vuyo, jump in. Yeah, what I wanted to comment on was uh, what Usubu just talked about in terms of the lineup. Because if you look at, if you look at, um, Elizabeth's competing. He had a front lifter, no back lifter within the competing. Uh, and that's what I didn't understand about New Zealand. Why they didn't just go with their front ball. They could mold from front ball. Yes, it's difficult molding from front ball, but they could, they could have done it because it's an easy ball. They were doing so many movements. And that's why, like, these are kind of tactics that uh, Wasbu was mentioning in terms of Guys, who is the leadership within this team? Who is stepping up to say, guys, this guy has got a front lifter. So which means when you have a front lifter, you're not going to get as high as you should. So why aren't you taking your easiest ball? Why are you doing so many movements? And even those movements are allowing South Africa now to compete properly. So that's it's, it's actually quite crazy how, as Smooth had mentioned, they actually, I think they lost it in the leadership, uh, in the leadership role. Uh, Jade, you put your hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I agree with you there, and I think the overemphasis came on New Zealand. You know, trying to get tail ball, uh, trying to get Frizzell up in the tail ball, and that's how they believe they get the rush, the rush defense out, um, getting tail ball, um, playing quick from from Nagi onto ten. Um, they do believe that if you're getting front ball, it allows your defense to creep up a little more, gives them um, half a second or a second, you know, more 
to, to eat up to you sort of pressures more on. I think there's an overemphasis on getting that tail ball and they really stuck to it. They went a few times to the back, uh, whether it was Scott Barrett or, or, or Shannon Pritzel at the back, you know, trying to get them working that tail ball. That was their go-to move this whole World Cup. They've been successful with it. And I think, like you said, when it didn't work a few times, they should have just readjusted. Leadership should have stepped in. But at that time, I mean, Sam Kane was off the field, um, was the leader. I think in the second half, it went a little bit better when Sam Whitelock came on because he took control of it. But yeah, in the first half, I, that's, that's basically the problem has been the emphasis on getting tail ball and getting the ball quickly out to the backs. Jade? I mean, not Jade, sorry. Uh, Hugh, on the numbers aspect uh, during this game, obviously, I looked at the territorial advantage, possession, playing too much rugby. I mean, yeah, we spoke about excitement and everything, but exciting rugby versus, uh, inverted commas, boring rugby, uh, which is quite defensive. Looking at the numbers, I mean... Yeah, the numbers telling a real story of what happened from what from from an eye test point of view. Are the numbers really telling a, a true story on what transpired on that field? Because the scoreboard is eleven twelve, really, to be honest, and it doesn't look like there was too much happening from a scoreboard side of things. The whole game was pretty much played between the both twenty twos. Not too many teams had too many entrances in each other's twenty twos. And obviously, every team that got a penalty, they just wanted to kick it for balls. Your thoughts on the stats element of this game and from a watching perspective? Yeah, obviously, in the second half, um, the All Blacks had that extended period down in the all uh, sorry in the Springboks 22. And I can't really remember a big opportunity that the box had to score a try off the top of my head. Um so I think that the All Blacks definitely did the more attacking. I mean, don't forget that the All Blacks scored a try in this game and the Springboks didn't. And I think there's a case to say that in the whole year, including the Rugby Championship up until now, the All Blacks defence has been the best in the world. Um, but yeah, in terms of the stats, there's, like I said earlier, the stats do suggest that the All Blacks potentially had the better of the game. And like I said, with the missed kicks at goal... I think if they had gone over, I don't think the Springboks could have complained very much that they were they were the better team and lost. But you know what? That's not how cup rugby works. That's not how um, elite sport works. You, you have to take your opportunities. In terms of eye test, I don't think either team was comfortable. I for all you can say how amazing the Springbok defence was and their intensity and everything, I don't think they were ever totally comfortable in defence. I think the All Blacks really, really tested them and that's what makes it so impressive that the Springboks managed to come out with the win. Vickers, backline aspects, both teams. I mean, who do you think yeah, played better between the two backlines? Yeah, I would, I would unfortunately have to say South Africa in this point because South Africa actually breached the defence of, uh, of New Zealand quite a couple of times. Obviously, from scrum, we knew that uh, Jordy Barrett was in the in the scrum at flank, so they had an extra number which South Africa used quite well. I even said at some stage, "Well done, Sticky, for for going wide." Um, I think I'd I'd have to say South Africa uh, because I I honestly think uh, New Zealand tried, they tried to play go wide off a line out, and I didn't understand that because how do you go off a line out when you know that this guy, these guys have put an extra number within the backline. I, I honestly didn't understand how they were trying to go wide. I could see that, yes, they know that the, the, the midfield is going to rush. They could beat the rush and go around. I mean, that still doesn't make sense to me. And um, if you look at even Moanga when they, when, when they scored, when they scored their try, Moanga went, um, I think it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a denied try or not, but... Yeah, it was a denied try when uh, Moanga had to basically uh, take the ball on the drift on on, on 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 one of the wingers, and then he got on the outside, and then he goose stepped, uh, he goose stepped um, um, uh, Dialende, and then he went on the outside. Even that, they were just trying to force everything, and I felt, for me, I would say South Africa had a better defense, uh, so better uh, backline attack. And I mean, they they spotted the weaknesses and they used them. And I, I feel 
New Zealand, that's where one of the things that actually I did not understand how these guys are trying to go outside knowing the rush defense of South Africa. Uh, Hugh? Yeah, far bit for me to undermine Coach V, who is very wise, but the All Blacks did have more line breaks than the Springboks. Um, obviously, a lot more passes, 221 passes, 24, and better post-contact meters in the Springboks as well. So I, th- I think from my, I would have to disagree with someone who obviously knows far more about rugby than I do. But I, th- I would say that the All Blacks back line had slightly better it. But I do want to ask a question to the panel. Bowden Barrett, I, there were times in the game where I felt it was on for him to run, where the Springboks defence was really scrambling to get back into shape. And with his pace, which is elite level, I thought he could have caused them options. And obviously with players like Will Jordan around him, I, I think something could have, could have been on. But he never did it. He always stopped and kicked. Is that a confidence thing for Bowden Barrett? Obviously, he's not been having very much luck at the Blues, or is he being? Is it being coached out of him, or what do we think's gone on? Oh, there? that's a perfect one for Jade. No, I think Bowden Barrett has that since he's got married and had kids. His handbrake got stuck up, and he lost a little bit of gas. I don't think he has that explosive gas anymore, guys. I think that 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 five to ten meter acceleration. I think it's as, as he's losing it as he's coming to the end of his career because there's a few times when I saw Bowdy. You know, take the ball on the gap, but he doesn't have that gas anymore um, that he had. Um, I think the handbrake is up there. Um, I do honestly think that um, if Bowdy wants to see a future in the all-black team, he needs to just focus solely and surely on 10. I don't think fullback, um, you know, he offers anything attackingly um, like he would at 10. <laughs> should, they have brought, um, should they have brought DMAC on earlier? Oh, yes. When DMAC came on, in that last cameo, um, the Oblacks looked a little bit more fluent. Eh? They looked a little bit more fluent. The thing that I like of David McKenzie is against the rush defence, he takes the ball against the line. So he has that. He, they, they call it in New Zealand. He's a, similar to a rugby league. Um, first five standoff. So he's, he's similar to that. I like David McKenzie in that aspect. Um, I wouldn't have started him. I do believe Mwanga is the better 10. Uh, he just had an off day. But when, when David McKenzie came on, he looked... Very, he looked much, much more smooth at, at, at 10. Um, I would have also thinking at that time, you know, maybe move um, David McKenzie to, to fullback because Bowden wasn't even catching a lot of eyeballs, was losing the aerial contest as well. So, yeah, definitely um, they should have brought DMAC on earlier. Just, sorry, guys, just on what Hugh was talking about, I fully agree, Hugh, in terms of uh, open play. But if you look at, uh, I was merely just focusing on uh, set piece. And I think that's where uh, I was targeting because, for me, we only see the South African backs through set piece because we never see them within the game itself. Uh, so that's why I mentioned that we uh, South Africa was a better team on the set piece other than New Zealand. Careful, 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 Hugh. Careful, Hugh. Uh, gentlemen, now I want us to focus on the coaching staff of both teams. We'll start off with the Springboks. Smoo, I want you to start uh, to kick us off on this one. Looking at every individual, okay, not all of them, but a few individuals who could have been very inspiring for each of these teams. From a South African perspective, obviously, Rassi, we don't know what is, where he's going after this or if he's still staying. We know Ninaba's leaving, but there are other people within this coaching group that are, are still available. I mean, yeah, what is the next step? for South Africa going forward? And obviously, how influential were these people in the cycle? Looking at where and how it started after 2019, uh, winning the World Cup, and then we had COVID. So big challenges. South Africa didn't play a lot of rugby. They had the BNI Lions tour, empty stadiums. Uh, there was obviously the Netflix special uh, in that uh, BNI tour from Rassi Rasmus, 60 minute. Um, yeah, a lot of things have happened in the cycle, right? And to come out of all of these, what, I don't want to call it adversity, but all these challenges as the Springboks to actually win the World Cup. I mean, the influence of the coaching staff, how big is it? And obviously, who are the key people within this coaching staff? Look, I think um, the, the, the Springbok coaching team mirrors the the team itself on the field. I think for the first time 
ever I've watched, you know, uh, the, the the team and the technical team being a direct, a direct translation to, to the actual team, you know. Few people realize it, but there's so many women in the backroom staff. It used to just be Annalie Murray, um, who's the, who was a PR and sponsorship manager. Uh, she's retired now, but now, you know, physio, like all, all, all across the, 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 the team, there's, there's specialists in, in the field as women. It's a diverse group. Um, there's a few internationals there as well. Your Felix Jones is also joining England at the end of the World Cup. So I think as a group, they, they pull skills from all sorts. But the best thing that they did, and, and we don't often credit administrators here, but SA Rugby giving, you know, Rassi Rasmus, that director of rugby role that, let's be honest, didn't really exist before Rassi, it might have had other shapes and forms, your high performance manager. And, and it wasn't really someone who was in charge of how South African rugby shaped and form, whether it's women's rugby, whether it's sevens, all, all sorts. There wasn't a position like that before um, and was centered. Um, so when they got Rassi to do that, sure, he does a lot of coaching and he can't, he can't help himself. But um, they also gave him the tools, you know, they didn't just give him the position. They gave him the tools, which was not what Alistair Kutia had, which is not what Mayer had, definitely not what Peter De Villiers had. And we can go on and on and on. So I think the the, the removal of a lot of egos and saying that, okay, Rasi, you ran the rugby show. You know, it got it got a lot of people behind Rasi, behind rugby. Um, the other thing is, Rasi, you know, when he started in 2018, he was going to see sponsors himself. Um, begging sponsors to get behind South African rugby, you know, um, that shows you that he's a leader beyond. Um, and yes, the, the, the side shows, the, the videos have made it tougher for themselves than it should have been. Um, but he's good at deflecting. Uh, Mourinho does attack it very well. Eddie Jones, you know, tries it a lot of the time. But a lot of coaches believe that if they can take the side show and bring it to themselves, it takes a lot of focus away from the players and the players can just focus. And in terms of focus, you know, they, they, the players analyze themselves in the opposition in more scrutiny than I've ever seen before. The day after game, the analysis session is no longer just going to a team room, hearing from their team analysts and then going to bed and doing your own thing, getting on your phone. Now everyone has a laptop with their clips, the team's clips and their opponent clips to analyze and to bring to the meeting their own notes whether it relates to your position uh, or your department, uh, whether you're in the second row or the forwards, or it relates to the opposition, you need to come with some sort of feedback. Guys like Omar Gazole, um, who be shy, um, who not used to speaking out, might have a language barrier, forced to come out of their shell uh, for the good of the team and themselves to grow as as as, as thinking beings. We heard in the week that Kobas uh, Reynach and Mani Libok Yanked after 27 minutes last week, played a pivotal role in acting as Aaron Smith and Richard Moana in training. That's important stuff. We used to hear about Elton Yankees being one of the best analysts in the team, identifying weaknesses in his teammates. And a lot of guys credited him uh, for the World Cup win in 2019 for what he did in the background. So for me, I could go on about the, take the team doctors, Jerome Mampane, um, you know, incredible professional um he 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 was under pressure a lot of times uh from Rassi to play players who were half fit and not not and he's had to tell Rassi, no Rassi, these guys aren't fit. Speak to your process of playing guys that are fit on a Monday, Cheslin being one ahead of the, the semi-final in 2019 against Wales. Uh taking Bonin Bonambi off when he suffered concussion in the World Cup final. Bongi wanted to get back on and was was pretty forceful about it and said, No, Bongi, you're out. You know, and they had a long conversation that you saw last night about his knee and it felt bad. And begrudgingly, Bumi had to walk off. You know, it's a hard position if you're the team doctor and you know this is your only hooker in the in the team. And now you have to take him off for medical reasons. You know, so those guys deserve a lot, a lot of credit. You know, I can really go on about the technical team, but I won't. But I have to say that one of the best things was getting Rassi. Jacques Ninaba, whose place as well, is probably only going to be appreciated once he's left. Um, he probably needed this win more than anybody else um, just to establish himself as a head coach 
but he'll probably be credited more for what he does at Leinster than living under the shadow of Rassi Erasmus. But this this is no slight on him. He did brilliant. He's done brilliantly as part of this team. He is the head coach that will that should take credit as a person that's taken uh, South Africa to the 2023 Rugby World Cup. Oh, well said, Smoo. Well said, Vickers. I see that you're hot on Smoo's heels here. You want to jump in very quickly as well? Yeah, just a short one. Just uh, obviously to commend um, Rassi for for taking that role as a director. There was never a director of rugby till 2012 uh, when Rassi came in as the first director of rugby from uh, the Stormers Western Province uh, setup. And when he got in, he literally um, had already ironed out exactly what he wanted, how the setup to to go. He had a couple of managers to manage uh, the certain codes, which is women's code, uh, sevens code, and um, and fifteens. And I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, you would have seen um, Charles Vessels as so he's the manager of fifteens. So he's the he's the basically the guy that everyone supposed to report to so it's it's one of those where the guy came in with a vision and i and i like the vision because he he literally ha- has the whole south african rugby uh, uh, structures within his uh, reach he's got Maris kuman at, at the sevens he's got uh, charles vessels at the 15s he's got he and he's obviously looking after the coaching department He's got the under twenty department, so he's he is looking is looking at, at 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 obviously creating a stability for for South Africa. But what my question now, what my what I'm scared of is what happens from now. Which which guy will take over South Africa as a head coach? Because we already know Jacques Nabe is leaving. We don't want the same situation as. 2016 when he appointed the coach and then he he left seems like you left as well Vickers um while Vickers is still getting uh some load while is he getting some load shedding in Russia uh Hugh and Jade okay Hugh you can start this one or actually Jade you can start this one off looking from an all-black perspective the coaching staff I mean what has transpired for the All Blacks in this past four years? We've seen how things have developed uh, over the part of in this cycle, to, per se, to say. And yeah, man, there's been lots of up and downs. And the old, and New Zealand rugby decided to stick with Foster until the end of this World Cup. Your thoughts on the coaching staff of New Zealand? You know, I just want to touch base on what Sabu and, and, and Will said first. And I just want to give credit to Rassi. I mean, it just shows you that if you put rugby people in rugby, um, you know, positions, making rugby decisions, I always believe it's, it's going to be successful. But if you don't put rugby guys in there and you get administrative guys in making rugby decisions, that's when it does go pear-shaped. So I honestly think that was a good um, move by the box. And... The box, like you mentioned that, which way now to for the box for the next coach or so? The blueprint is there from the All Blacks from 2015, 2019. They lost their way due to stubbornness and not wanting to innovate the game. Um, Rassi can really freshen up. Uh, we music can freshen up, stick to his strengths, improve. But, I mean, you can just look at all of the faults that the All Blacks did, you know, during that period where they were the best team in the world by a mile, and then within two years, the rest of the world caught up for them. So, yeah, uh, going forward with the All Blacks um, coaching structure, you know, I haven't been a Foster fan since day one. I haven't been a Foster fan since day one. I believe that the Hanson-Henry era had to end um, after 2019. I believe Foster was another one carrying on that that era. Um, I, they needed something new. Um what they do have now coming in is a fresh start. Um, they have Razor, McDonald, Holland, um, with Wayne Smith as a sort of mentor director coming in. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, there's a lot of stalwarts leaving. Uh, you are not going to replace a Retallick in a white lock and Smith overnight. It's going to take time to replace them. But it is at least some new ideas. Um, it's new new guys, new faces. It's, it's an exciting time for for, for the All Blacks, I believe this change actually four years ago, not now. Foster did well to make the World Cup final. 
um, you can give yourself a pat on the back. Um, you can take credit for it. He came within two kicks of winning it. Um, you know, you, you can always go back and say I almost won the World Cup. However, if you're looking back overall at these four years, um, New Zealand will judge him on this World Cup and will judge him based on he never won the World Cup, so it's a failure. And also the results that they had against Argentina at home. I mean, the series loss against Ireland. It's all of those negativities they got to. So, yeah, um, from a New Zealand perspective, it's exciting times with Razor coming in. It's not going to be easy because they also do need a few rugby guys making rugby decisions there. I think the administrator side took took control of the game, um, especially in New Zealand and Australia. So they need to get some rugby decisions made there. <coughs> Hugh, I know you are on the fence on this one. You're sitting on both sides. Share a few thoughts on the South African perspective. Share a few thoughts on the All Blacks perspective. Well, I think Razzie can now claim to be the greatest coach in rugby union history, or at least up there with someone like um, Steve Hansen. Um, and obviously, I think he, he, he what he can say is that he was the most innovative, you know, for all the... Um, wailing there was about the 7-1 splits. Well, the World Cup final was won with the 7-1 split, so how about that? Um, and then you got the traffic lights and all the things, all these unpopular things where he made himself the water boy and then he could go down onto the pitch and advise the players during the game. Things like that that just, you know, it, he, he is the coach that people claims that Eddie Jones was, really. Um, oh, the only thing that I'd add to what Jade said on... Uh, the, the New Zealand coaches is I wonder at half time when the All Blacks were down how much it was a factor a subconscious factor in the players heads that the guy giving them the team talk was already sacked <laughs> oh, oh you I can add to that what I think happened is the guy giving them the team talk was not really the coach and has lost a few big games as well in Joe Schmidt <laughs> He's the assistant coach. I could be that as well. But yeah. <laughs> All right, Hugh. One more thing, guys. One more thing. I forgot this earlier on. Uh, Frizzell, yellow card to try and take out Bongi Bonambi. Hugh, on Friday, you mentioned something very important. And we almost saw it on Saturday or last night where Frizzell was trying to take out Bongi, and Bongi actually went off. He got a yellow card, not a red, as you suggested on Friday, but he got a yellow card. Was that the actual tactic from the All Blacks to get Bongi out from what you saw? Well, who were the players that we identified on Friday that the South African team couldn't afford to lose? We said uh, Bongi, obviously. We said Fatty Clerk, obviously, and we said Jesse Creel because of how many positions would have to change to cover for him going off. Who were the players that the Kiwis got carded for doing illegal tackles on? Bongi and Jesse Creel. I'll say no more. Jade, as an All Black, your thoughts targeting Bongi on Saturday? I don't think I don't think it was at all. I mean, you know what? If he did do that and target them, he fell on his leg in that way, then whoa, what a way his plan really worked out, you know, because for me to get that whole plan out and execute it like that, then, you know, his plan really worked out, but I really don't think so. I think it's just a coincidence. Um, I don't think Frizzell targeted him. Um, Sam came was just a moment of stupidity. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it was the two guys that you mentioned, so <laughs> he has a better case than me at the moment. But yeah, I don't believe that, guys. Come on. <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, before we jump on to the uh, breakthrough player of the year and player of the year uh, predictions, they having a dinner tonight, obviously, with our awards ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, jump in, uh, Smoo. Yeah, just on that um, part about um, targeting players, I, I don't genuinely believe that there there's there was like a conspiratorial plan to you know take out Bongi or to do this because like like rugby now is is not like rugby back in the day. You're you're gonna get caught and you're gonna do yourself very little favors. These guys know this that you know like the Sam Kane thing. There's too much at stake for you to go and target someone because a red card is easier now in rugby than it's ever been. 
before at any other time in history. But I do feel like this is the most emotional New Zealand team I've ever seen play. Like, if you look at the the the, the warm-up game, the ill-discipline in the New Zealand team, like New Zealand, they're known for their composure and the Springboks are known for losing their heads with the Bakisis in the past and all that, right? And New Zealand just wait for you to make the mistake, pounce, score try, right? Simple, clinical. But this, I don't know what's happened in the New Zealand fabric, but this has become like, especially when they play the box, there's such an emotion attached to the way they play in that they forget how clinical they can be or how clinical they are. And you contrast that with how clinical they were against Ireland, where they just put away their chances against Ireland. There was no Aji Baji. There's no high tackles, there's no borderline. Did he try to injure Bungi with this? There's none of that against Ireland. They just played rugby. So I do think with the with the All Blacks, the emotions got away with them more than it was a kind of tactic to take out Jesse or or, or, or Bungi. Oh, well said, well said. Uh, these are the same sentiments that I also share regarding the All Blacks under Fozzie. Everything seemed to be very emotionally driven than the actual uh, well-controlled, well-balanced, calm-headed calm headed All Blacks that of the past that we know, right? Um, yeah, Jade, you also wanted to say something? On- yeah, no, I wanted to say, you know where this comes from, our school principal? It comes from the fact that they know physically they couldn't match the box and they're trying to be over-physical when they play the box and that's where they make these errors. They're trying to be too physical. And the other thing regarding the composure and the calmness, um, go back to the Super Rugby final. Who was the Chiefs captain? How many yellow cards did the Chiefs get in that game? Three, led by Sam Kane. So, obviously, you do look at the leadership in terms of that as well. Hugh. Oh, Hugh wanted to say something, but now he's gone. Guys that are listening in, uh, we've got one more two questions that you guys want to share. And uh, also ask questions within the panel. Feel free to jump on. Uh, put up your hand. I can actually let you guys uh, share a few thoughts uh, regarding the final. And yeah, Vuyo, you can go. Yeah, I see Jared is in. So I need to tell a story about Kwaka Smith. So in 2011, uh, we had in 2011 we had uh, the Craven Week where Chesney was in. Um, a couple of youngsters were in the actual 2011 uh, group. And so what happened was I was sitting with the selectors of the Springboks at the time, and they asked, um, so we looked at Kwaha, we were like, fuck, he's talented, he looks good, he's got good movement, but he's just too short for flank. So the moment they said that, I said, okay, cool, I'll have him at the sevens. I'll take him any day. I mean, what I saw from that kid back then was, they were, they were winning by 60 points uh, to beat, I think they were beating, um, I don't know if it was Limpombo Bubbles or something like that. And they kicked off short and this kid jumped up in the air uh, on a kickoff. He collected the ball, he smashed into the ground, he got up with the ball and ran, took contact in the 22. After that, uh, the Pumas played, 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 and then they came back and then he scored. And then I said, this is the kind of mentality that lacks in rugby. And so when we brought him in at the sevens, he joined our academy team. And um, I mean, the race is very history because look at this kid now, three turnovers last night. How beautiful was those three turnovers? Because they were under the pump. I mean, that that how the instinct of the player to even go for the ball when one player is tackling. Because I mean, what Cheslin was tackling, I think was tackling the winger and Kwaka literally ripped up the ball off his off his hands. I mean, guys, look. As much as we can talk about body size, everything, but it all it all goes down to the heart and the, and the willingness. Heart and willingness. We've got Rulani. Rulani, you wanted to share a few thoughts regarding last night. Go ahead. Oh yeah, uh, I think I was just um, speaking to the sentiments regarding how um, the All Blacks are, are basically uh, losing composure like in, in, in big moments. I think it's I think it's they feel they, they feel like they they're they're playing an opposition that's actually in their face and with such sheer aggression, you know. I mean I think the Springboks 
uh, mentalities that you'll know how we play, you must know who's going to be there, now you must try and stop us, you know. And I think it's because that's what the All Blacks aren't used to a team being in their face, in their faces like that, you know, because you could actually see that um, <clears throat> the pressure was coming in from the forwards, you know, and I think that's, I, I think that's why, like, other than orthodox teams, they, they, they really can't have a plan for us because they really don't know what to do with our forwards, you know. Um, I was thinking back at um, the test match we played at Mount, at Mount Smart and how they actually say, you know what, we're not going to try and take them on with their game or we're not going to try and allow them to frustrate, uh, frustrate uh, for status, but we're going to try and blitz them, which worked very well, you know, because they really had us under the pump. And once the All Blacks have another pump, I mean, we're in trouble. But I, th- I think when 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 we when they saw that there's this issue of the seven-one split, they started playing in the mind a bit. When they realized they're going to come back again with this four-force forward um, domination gameplay, and uh, with regarding the the Bongi issue, um, I don't think any team can outrightly say that they target someone but I you have to give them the consideration like you know how we against Scotland said no matter what happens you have to take a tackle for Russell whether he pauses whether he kicks whether he does anything because it starts to be a, a hindrance you know so that's how you try and get someone out of the game so I think they knew that they wanted to put Boeing under the pump because they knew that we didn't have a outright hooker I mean Dion Fury is a hooker but I mean we all know that he he, he converted, so I think they just wanted to 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 cave Bonja under pressure so that it could be more interesting. I think I was listening to the Rugby Pass interviews and they was they were saying that when they saw Bonji got injured, they were like, this, "It might get interesting," you know. Um, so I think it was it wasn't a plan to get him injured or, or or something, but I think it was to get him under the pump. You know, you can see that if this guy's out, there's too many pieces of the puzzle that have to be moved. Um, but yeah, it was a great game at all. Um, I'm happy for the uh, outcome. You know, Cheslin Kobe had a great game actually defensively. Um, the wingers really didn't have to do much, but I'm glad that our defense really, our defensive principles uh, came through for us. And yeah, I mean, it's what a time to be a South African and not be supportive. And I mean, when you think about 2017, I was, look, I was looking back at 2017 and how we, um, Rassi and uh, Rassi and Jack came from uh, Munster when they, were, when they were doing so well. And they said, hey, man, we can't leave our country. So, I mean, it's just, we are lucky, man, you know, because we've, we've been through a lot. And I'm glad that I've never, I, I never gave up on the boys. So yesterday was just a reminder that, you know, we, we really did come come from a long way, you know. And yeah, I mean, long live the Springboks, man. Long live the green and gold. <laughs> long live the Springboks. Smoo, where to next for the Springboks? Who is next in line after Jacques Ninaba? Um, I think the, the Rash Naba era um, ended in the best possible way. Um, but I think the sensible thing to do is to 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 start a, a, a Rash stick era uh, from here on. Uh, and then hand over the reins uh, properly to stick in 2025. Um, as head coach, uh, and then I think he should have a six-year contract um, to factor in the two years to 2027 plus the four years to 2031, which I believe is in the U.S. if that's been confirmed by by World Rugby. Just to, I mean, stick is young enough, experienced enough, won two World Cups. That's the horse I would back. And I'll keep the group together. They've already renewed Stick and Dion David's uh, contracts to 2027, I believe. So already they've shown that they're backing these two horses. It will be very difficult to bring in a new head coach because then they would have to come and put in their philosophy on Stick and Dion David's with Rasmus Rasmus still there for at least two years as director of rugby. So... That would be too big of a change. And I know some people do feel um, uh, that, you know, some freshness uh, is needed, but you're still going to get freshness. You still need a defense coach, you know, to replace Rafni Naba. You can still get specialist coaches. Felix Jones, like I said, is going to England. At the end of this World Cup, there are specialists everywhere that are 
you know, you'd have to replace Stick's position, you know, as as a skills coach with someone. So that allows you to bring in fresh ideas. So there's not um, a lot that I would say in terms needs to be changed. But here's here's what I'll give you in terms of a big punt. How's Damien Willems for next promo captain after Sia Polisi? So I'll leave you with that with that thought. <laughs> Jeez, okay. All right. I can see it. I can see it. But uh, not too many backline captains out there. Uh, I think, yeah, a, a good change would be great in that perspective. Uh, Vuyo, tonight, evening gala, awards evening. It's a bit, or Adi Savia is taking it tonight. Who are you backing? World Player of the Year. Yeah, it's pretty easy for my side, bro. Uh, yeah, I'll give it to Etiquette. I mean, the guy has worked his ass off this past year. He's been in the mix. I mean, if we look at the four years, actually, not even uh, this year, but if we look at the four years completely, I'm not saying that Sevilla has been bad, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking merely uh, because of South Africa won the World Cup. Etzebeth had a massive quarterfinal to get them there. So for me, I would definitely go Etzebeth. Jade? Yeah, uh, guys, for me, you know, I'm a big Etzebeth fan. Um, I think a big Bandiaki fan as well. But I think Audi for me tops it because overall, um, in terms of the whole season, Etzebeth hasn't really played a lot of rugby for the Sharks. Um, we're looking at our season, although he's judged on the World Cup, I know. Uh, why I would give it to Audi is because you should look at the work he did with the Canes during the um, Super Rugby season. And also, uh, it's not like Audi had a quiet World Cup as well. I mean, he had a lot of line breaks. He, he had a brilliant game against Ireland. Um, that's how I would give it to him. But yeah, I think it would go its best way, but my choice would be Audi. Maybe we could see a Terry Dusatua situation from 2011 where the All Blacks won and then Dusatua got Player of the Year. So maybe something like that. Interesting, that. interesting thoughts there, gentlemen. Uh, Smooth, yours. Who is your uh, pick for tonight's uh, World Player of the Year? <laughs> no, clear in a way. Evan Etzebeth. He would have been my pick last year as well. That he had a sensational year uh, last year um, for for the Springboks. Played every Test bar one, I think the one in. No, not the one in Bloemfontein. It came off the bench um, against Italy, I think. Uh, last year, but on this year's account, yes, he hasn't played much for the Sharks. But when he does play, it's a different Sharks team altogether. Like, it's a completely different change. Just him, his presence himself. This World Cup, I mean, there's there's not much I can say about him in this World Cup. He's just, a sense, he's been sensational for the last three, four years, like Rajvik said. Yeah, been far and away from me. Fair enough, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Shiko. Thank you very much, Vikas, all the way from Russia. Thank you very much, Jade. Thank you very much to our listeners. Guys, we're going to set this up on our Spotify. You can find it on Apple uh, Pod as well. I'll send. I'll share the link on my timeline. But thank you very much uh, for joining us tonight. And congratulations to the Springboks once again. All Blacks, four more years, lads. Four more years. And enjoy your evening, everybody. Good night. Cheers, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.